Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to a fresh episode of A Matter of Truth. I am your co-host, Alex, and I'm joined as always, well, for the most part, with by Anthony. Uh, every once in a while, we, you know, do our own stuff, but we usually partner together, right? I mean, it's depends it's if common. we're du- depends if we're duking it out. Yeah, <laughs> which we were just talking about how I win all the fights. So not to flex any <clears throat> theological muscles here. No, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really do that. You know that. Uh, so, you know, this is a special episode, I think, not only for what we're going to talk about and the guests that we have hidden here, um, but we're actually going to give a part two to an episode we did last year that everybody wants to hear us continue on. And yeah. and that topic is sanctification. Dun dun dun. Part two. Yeah. The revenge of no. What would be the it would be the sanctification strikes back or something like that. Is that how we do it? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> if you all get that reference, that's I, I applaud thee. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's actually like you know introduce our guest who's been quiet for the last twenty minutes now, as we've kept her hidden so yeah. oh, i will introduce to everybody janelle hi um well i'm really excited to be here with you guys and i'm very honored that you have invited me to be on here <laughs> my name is janelle um i am mrs j garwood on instagram my page focuses mainly on uh theology and with Kind of some hints of biblical womanhood in there. You actually did an article for Undying Light, isn't that right? Mm, yes, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. I did. So you do some I, blogging? Um, a few here and there. I did start my own website, but I haven't had a chance to get many articles up there yet. So yeah, I think I've I've written for a few different people, and um, I really can't remember what the title of my article was for you, Alex. Uh, <laughs> my brain is just blinking right yeah, now. Yeah, I would have to go back and like really look at it. And I'm not on my normal PC, so I can't, I'd have to 
Maybe I can do it on the fly. Yeah, it's probably something about women needing theology or something. So yeah, I think it was something the women's purpose. Um, boy, I don't. I I have this amazing website that was built by my co-host on this show, and I don't ever use it. Which I'm going to have to actually start using it soon because. <clears throat> yeah, here it is. Why do women need theology? You were yeah, right. There we go. So go check that article out. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And your page, I, I think your page looking through it and, and actually being a follow of, uh, of you on Instagram, I think it's, it's so edifying and, and really how you, how you break down the walk, the reformed walk, if you want to call it that the, the Christian walk um, it's, it's extremely clean. And I mean, you get into all facets, who is the Holy spirit, discernment, the gospel, and that leads me to, to the topic at hand, sanctification, right? Um, yeah. It struck me when when it popped up. I'm like, this is this is excellent. This is a conversation that Alex and I have been um, been having. Uh, I think since I met you, Alex, really, right? Uh, yeah, I, every phone call pretty much evolves into this discussion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> um, actually, just a side note. I'm, I'm sure people have heard this before. That is that was what I picked to talk about when I went on Undying Light with Paul and Alex, Mm -hmm. uh, my topic was sanctification. So we had a great, yeah, it was cool. It's very cool. And I think that's kind of this thing of why I, I really enjoy talking about it because I'm I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm being sanctified daily. And so with your post, I I reached out to you and said, Hey, your post was excellent. And we'd love to have you on the show. And, And you graciously accepted. And I appreciate that. That leading to, I think, what we'll talk about here today is, you know, uh, looking at how we define obedience, defining law, and defining sanctification, um, and then defining sanctification in light of law and obedience. So hopefully we get to all that. It's not something that should be played with lightly. Um, Mm -hmm. And as we really kind of start to expound it, there are many different viewpoints and in fact the, the the whole reformation is is hinged on which camp do you fall into um do you fall into the calvin camp that would label him a, a theologian of sanctification or do you fall into the camp of luther where he was a theologian of justification and i think we really dug real deep into that last time around so i'm curious at how um we're going to you know, how this will kind of, uh, expound further. Yeah. And, and just to kind of kick it off, I, I would say this, I, I believe from, you know, getting to know you guys, uh, we're all on the same page with respect to justification. Um, it's yeah. through, through grace, uh, uh, through grace, the grace of God and it's, it's faith through Jesus Christ. Right. So yeah, I think a proper and correct understanding of the doctrine of justification is ultimately essential to a proper and right understanding um, of the gospel message because, because it also, I mean, it really ties all of those like nine cardinal truths. It, it wraps them all together, mm-hmm. the doctrine of justification. So I would say starting off with that, I think it, it's in, important to say this isn't a, this isn't a conversation about that. The law legalism obedience in the sense that that is what saves you at all. Would you guys agree? Right. Oh yeah, Definitely. Exactly. I would. Yep. Okay. So I just wanted to, I wanted to kind of kick it off with that. Um, just so we're clear, because 
um, I think probably all three of us have had people saying, you know, um, why are you talking about pursuing holiness? That isn't what saves you. Uh, you know, the back and forth on DMs, on IG, it's it's unbelievable, you know, how that happens uh, in, in or not even DMs, also in comments that, you know, what are, what are we talking about here? You know, we're talking right. about pursuing holiness, which is something it's, you know, it's talked about from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. This is not something we're, we're making up or that Calvin made up or that, um, or, or Luther made up. We're talking about presuming holiness and sanctification. So um, with that, uh, why don't we break down how we define obedience to start? And Janelle, why don't you kick it off? Well, I would say that obedience, first of all, is essential. Um, and the reason why I say that is because Jesus was also obedient he, he was obedient unto death. And so mm. he complied with what God wanted him to do. And so we should be complying with what God wants us to do as well. And that's, you know, part of Absolutely. that is taking up our, taking up our cross and, and following him. And that's, that's pretty much obedience. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I can see that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, I might be a little bit more on the fringe. I would say that obedience is needed, but not a required because, and to, to justify that position, um, we have to look at our daily grind in life and realize that even our best efforts are still going to fall short of any sort of, you know, command that Christ has given us. And so Christ commands us to be perfect like he is. Christ commands us to sin no more. And we're, we're all going to fail at that. Oh, but I believe, but I believe there is a right manner in how we understand obedience, and I believe there is a right manner in how we can uh, approach it. Um, and and the other aspect of it is, is you can't use your uh, works, if you would, as as justification for obedience. And by that, I mean. You can't say that because I read the Bible this morning and because I prayed three times a day, I'm being obedient. Yeah, you're talking works now. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, totally different, right? Right. So o- obedience has to be very specifically defined in the scope of what did Christ call us to do. And simply, that is to go out into the world and preach the gospel. That is like the number one thing that Christ has given us. And if you were to boil down the law, Christ tells us that we are to be um, to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And neither one of those two we can actually completely fulfill. And the only way we can love our neighbor is by sharing the gospel with them, for one, and then two, doing works. And so that's where the whole works piece comes into play, that God doesn't need our works, but our neighbor does. So if we start to, you know, boil it down, like I said, I I think obedience is needed, but I don't think it's something that man can necessarily fulfill even on their best day. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause you need the, you need the Holy spirit within you to do, to help you do that. Right. Absolutely. All right, Anthony, what's your, what's your throw at? So you started kind of talking a little bit about works and I think, I think a lot of a lot of times we can get caught up in that. Okay, um, obedience is 
works and they're not the same. They're not the same at all. I don't believe they are. To be obedient um, is, we know it's an adjective. It describes a believer because we were bought with a price, mm-hmm. a high price. We, we are slaves to Christ. There's no other way to put it. We, we were bought with a price if you are a true believer. You can't escape that. And, and as a result of that, as a result of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, I would say the spiritual obedience, I think it's in every single believer. And that is just, you know, bubbling over in your heart. So when we talk about that and we talk about, you know, the orthodox doctrine of, I think, obedience, you're being obedient to, you know, to the example of Christ, who Christ is. We're supposed to be, to live our lives, to become Christ-like. And, um, that's outlined in Second Peter and First John um, for the believer. So, uh, following the example of Christ is, you know, is is an act of obedience. Um, you're obeying the commandments of Christ. So, um, I think it absolutely would be necessary. It is necessary in the sense that if you truly have put your faith in Christ, how can you not? be obedient. And then you have throughout scripture, I think I, I did a search of obey. I think it's like mm-hmm. 206 times it's mentioned in, uh, oh, that's, that's in the, not in the Bible. that many. Yeah, not, so, not many <laughs> so the, the verb obey is, is something, you know, obviously it's related to, to, to obedience. So it's essential. And I, and I think that separating the two absolutely works, does not save you, but Obedience is is essential as as a Christian because because of our love for Christ. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of my long short answer of how yeah. I define obedience. Well, I think going off of what you said, Anthony, is that there is this quote by Martin Lloyd Jones said something along the lines of "If you don't des- desire to be holy, then I don't think you have any right to think that you are Christian." And so I think. If you're not being obedient, then, you know, why do you think that you are a Christian? So it's yeah. part of, it's part of that assurance too, or lack of assurance. So well, that's where assurance comes in, but that's probably a different conversation. <laughs> well, and you bring up a very interesting point uh, because Alex and I had one of our last episodes was on legalism, antinomianism, and uh, moralism. And you just... Right, right, Alex. So what she just yeah. what she just outlined in the quote was antinomianism. You put your faith in Christ, and hey, I don't I don't have to be obedient. I don't have to obey. That's too much on me. You know that is not my God. You hear it all the time. Yeah. You know my God doesn't tell me I have to do this. My God doesn't tell yeah. me I'm a gender. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, just to throw back to that last episode you know, at the end of it, we talked about how we wanted to talk about these, those three specific things in light of sanctification and, and the process and how they play into it. So I'm glad you brought that up, Janelle. It's, it's a great conversation point. Yeah. It was just, you know, I, that's how I look at it is obedience. And, and I think with someone like myself that struggled with assurance um, early on in my walk, cause I always put it on my works. Am I doing this? Am I not doing this? But then I, I realized that part of that was obedience too, because 
some of it I wasn't. And so that kind of led me to believe that, that I wasn't quite, that I wasn't saved like I thought I was. And so, but now, because I didn't have the desire and now I have the desire, like I want to grow in holiness. I want to become more Christ-like. And so that just kind of, um, that gives me my assurance that I am saved. It's definitely evidence for sure. You're absolutely right. Spot on. I feel the same coming from where I came from. Um, I've had, I've had, I've had people DM me about, you know, how do I know I'm saved? Well, I, I think you even being concerned and asking about it is evidence, you know, the yeah. Holy Spirit working in your life to convict you, you know, because obedience and law, it all ties into sanctification and pursuing holiness. So let's, let's talk about uh, the law a little bit. So who wants to volunteer to go first? <laughs> I know it's your favorite topic, Alex. Yeah, you I love the law. What do, you, what do you want me to say? There's 10 commandments, and if you break any of them, you're doomed to hell. <laughs> That's one way to sum it up. I know, right? There it is. All yeah. right, moving on. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to bring up some texts, and uh, I am going to read it. And this is why. Because here's the thing. The law, which is often referred to as, as you've guessed it, the Ten Commandments. And uh, because of that, those Ten Commandments that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai in uh, Exodus were then uh, transformed into over like 630 different laws over the next couple generations of Pharisees and that after Israel was settled. Um, and by the time Christ came around, it was so ridiculous that you could not pull more than three tears of wheat off on a Sunday. Otherwise you're considered to be working on the Sabbath and therefore you've broken the commandment. Uh, they would go ahead real quick. So that's a great point. And I guess you'll get to, um, you know, there's the mosaic law and then there's all, all of these other laws that got, put in to follow correct mm-hmm. yeah it's too, okay. don't mind awesome. me i'm eating a pretzel sorry <laughs> i have to say that on live you know because we always talk about food so thou shall not eat pretzels on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> come on uh, you know what i'm a i'm a free spirit here right you can't hate, don't send me dms for that please yeah <laughs> so you're right anthony um because there is the 10 original commandments and those were like held to be sacred and then you have uh all of these different types of laws uh for the jewish people some were ceremonial some were um uh what are the others i'm trying to think of them off the top of my head i gotta ask if i can't find them here um some were ceremonial which did dealt with like worship and sacrifice and temple living and things like that and then they had you know i think there's three different branches for yeah. the law and i you know what I, I don't have it on my screen i'd have to I, i'm not that knowledgeable in traditional jewish backgrounds so forgive me but out of all of this this is what the pharisees really clung to because those were the laws that they were more keen on obeying as I was given an example of the uh, honoring the Sabbath that they would, they would hammer a person 
if they pulled off more than three wheat tears or another one is um, if they were in a marketplace and then they enter a home and didn't wash their hands, that's considered uh, breaking one of God's commandments. It's their, their, their man, um, man centered, man decided traditions that they they deemed law. Yep. And Mark seven, Jesus really hammers the Pharisees about that. They would rather, follow the traditions of their father versus their fathers versus, you know, the true commandments, the true law that God has given. And the purpose of the law in and of itself, as we can reflect back on it today, wasn't a means of controlling people or telling them that they can't do anything. The original purpose was to set the people of Israel aside and to make them different from the rest of the nations because the rest of the nations are pagan and they're, you know, they're sinning against these laws on a daily basis. And so the Israelites were to be set aside a people unto God. And, but the problem is, is the law doesn't actually save anybody. The law doesn't do anything. It just reveals sin. And so that was the problem the Pharisees would have is that it constantly kept convicting them of their own sin. And then they would try to put all these boundaries in place to keep them from sinning when they just continued to sin. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs and, mm-hmm. uh, okay. in, in Matthew 23, because they are, uh, you know, beautiful and, and pristine on the outside, uh, you know, with their fancy garments and, and all that. But on the inside, they're basically dead and decaying. Yeah. So the law in itself was supposed to be a means to set these people aside, but all it ever did was convict them of their sin. And so that is why a text like Romans 1, 16 through and 17 is so crucial. As Paul writes here, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew and first and also the Greek. For it in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this particular text that Luther really hangs on draws to light the fact that the law will only ever convict somebody of their sin, but it, but that doesn't, and it doesn't do anything. It has no effect on those that have faith in Christ and those who live according to faith, because that is how we are saved. And Luther, uh, Paul goes on to write in Romans how faith is administered when he hits the 10th chapter. But, you know, there, there has to be a foundation of law in order to convict somebody of sin. And so the, you know, that's another reason the law was given is, you know, a foundational piece to convict the world. But Paul writes in Romans one, again, that even those who have never seen or heard the law, they still have no excuse because God has written upon their hearts uh his law and so you know people who aren't christians would more than likely tell you it's probably wrong to murder somebody it's probably wrong to steal and lie and cheat and all this stuff right because that is the objective morality being placed upon them and those that reject that even are those that god has turned over to a debased mind so i you know we can talk about the law all day long but you know, the fact of the matter is, is Christ did not come to abolish the law. 
he came to be the fulfillment and he didn't do away with the law the law will stay in place until you know uh till christ returns and then does away with all of that in the new kingdom uh of heaven and earth so we still have the law it still convicts us that's why we we look to our repentance and we look to christ as our means of salvation because we can't keep it in of ourselves all right i'm done ranting (laughs) yeah i think the law shows us what god wants which is holiness but then it's grace that gives us the desire to be holy and we don't trust the law to save us we trust christ so is that kind of what you're saying uh, one more time, throw it by me. I'm sorry. <laughs> the law shows us what God wants, which is holiness. Yep. And it's the grace of God that gives us the desire to be holy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't trust the law to save us. We mm-hmm. trust Christ to save us. So it's not uh, the law that saves you. Right. And the, the, the problem, I think, especially in like Roman Catholic circles, um, or, or even maybe even some Protestant groups nowadays is that they cling to the law righteously and, and, and maybe not necessarily like the Ten Commandments, but let me, let, let's throw this into play because a lot of churches and a lot of denominations today are taking up this social justice cause and they think that because they are doing that, it is making them righteous. And in fact, all it's doing is showing their dependency upon them creating a law for themselves. And so they're really no better than the Pharisees in the time of Jesus, because now they're telling us how we should live and not live. Yeah, Just that like makes to throw, sense. Th- throw yeah. a little wrench in everybody's plans there. Well, <laughs> I think with social justice, it, it becomes, you know, that's, that's the infection of worldly ideologies um, in, in the church. And um, look, there's nothing wrong with, with respect to helping the poor, the needy, standing up for those who can't stand up. But the issue is this, like you said, you're trying to take these, you're trying to set the doctrine or preach it from the pulpit. It doesn't belong in the pulpit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at, if you look at scripture, sin is sin is sin, period. End of story. And when you start you know, looking at the color of your skin, if you're Hispanic, if you're black, you know, right, right down the line, it just becomes a slippery slope. So justice for all, you know, including LGBTQ, you know, is getting factored into this thing where they want to deny, they want to deny sin. And how do we know that sin is by, by the law, by what, what Christ explains these things that Paul goes through of, of, and Christ who, who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? And it's all based on your actions, how you live your life. You're the, are you pursuing holiness? Janelle, did you want to add a little bit more about the law at all? Uh, no, I don't think so. No? Okay. <laughs> I think Alex kind of covered it all. <laughs> okay. So the law, you know, let's talk. There's the spirit of the law, right, Alex? And the letter of the law. So mm-hmm. you, were, you were kind of going down a lot of the, the letter of the law. And I think yeah. people... People fail to understand the real purpose of the law, especially with respect to the Old Testament and, and Moses. Because if we remember, right, the Mosaic law was given after redeeming his people. God gave that Mosaic law after the fact, after he redeemed his people. So for sinners, and we have all heard this, grace precedes law and seeking to be faithful to the law, pursuing holiness 
is how we praise and thank God for his grace. So I think that the, the, the spirit of the law is a much deeper thing. And in, in the reason the law is there is clearly to show, hey, you have sinned and Jesus came to fulfill his law in his life because he was the only one who perfectly could obey the law. And he was our, you know, the sin offering. I think the law, what did, what did you say earlier you, 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 that Luther said? It was kind of a broad stroke. And if Luther, I guess Luther said that with respect to um, the law. What was it that you said, Alex? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was in regards to the law being uh, only convicting or bringing not, one to. Yeah, it, it was something that had to do with not needing, you know, the, not needing the law in, in in a sense or something like that. I don't want to paraphrase. Yeah, I don't know be, if it was if it if it was my paraphrasing or if it was because I don't have any physical okay. Luther quotes on my screen. So okay, I felt like that that might have been a kind of a broad stroke because I think the law is very important in, in our Christian walk because I think it, like you said, it highlights the sin. It highlights that only one man, the Son of God, the the God man came to fulfill completely the law. And when we talk about the spirit of the law, what that really means uh, is, is a lot different than the letter of the law, because the letter of the law, I mean, that is when you get into legalism and that's what the, the Pharisees absolutely did. I completely agree with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as many churches, like you pointed out, you know, now with social justice and what's, what's next. You know, getting away from what the intent of the law really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the the really difficult thing, especially today, is that people are so focused on doing doing what's right in in the eyes of other people. So it's, uh, you know, how can we bring justice to the forefront and how can we speak about it and how can we go out into our neighbors and neighborhoods and act on, you know, justice being right for other people. And at the end of the day, justice belongs to the Lord. And yeah. so us doing these things is we literally are setting ourselves up to be no better than Pharisees in the manner of, you know, because what these churches are telling people is that if you're not doing these things then you're not a real Christian. Yeah. And that's just flat out blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, that gets into uh, man traditions, not, you know, clearly not the intent Mm -hmm. of uh, of what the spirit of the law absolutely is in in any way, shape or form. Because, um, you know, because I think it's very interesting. Another point is how much do we hear about the lawlessness of men in, in the New Testament, in Scripture? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the the law is it, it's it's the bumper rails it's it's our train tracks the train track that keeps the christian on a path which again plays into you know pursuing holiness sanctification because you said it yourself right law highlights that you know the the sin and something we cannot we can't we can't keep the law and that's why we put our faith in in christ because he was he he completed it. I do believe yeah. that if when you start looking at you know, especially the the Ten Commandments and and in the Old Testament, how God's law really highlights His character. 
the image of who God is and that we need a savior because we can't perfectly keep the law, but, but God is perfect. So his character is revealed in those commandments in the law that he gave. So it's the type of thing where the law is actually a a, a blessing. Absolutely. As is obedience and obeying God should be, it is, it's joyful. It's, it's, I think it's the most wonderful thing, you know, pursuing holiness and, and, and coming out of, um, whether it's drugs, the type of music, the environment that I've left behind in, in obedience to my savior who died, uh, you know, his blood shed for me, he was beaten, you know, so I look back at my old and I don't want it. I don't want to return to that vomit. And mm-hmm. it's again, it, it invokes this love and this longing to want to pr- continue to pursue to pursue holiness because that lifestyle there was nothing holy about it. Absolutely, and it's, right. it, and it's not by anything that I've done. This this is the key thing, right? It's not by anything I've done or you or Janelle or anything in in your lives. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So so we so we can justification and sanctification is is all the work of God with sanctification, you know, man plays an active role in that. So that kind of leads us to sanctification. Unless you, unless you want to, uh, do we have to duke anything out with the the law that I said? (laughs) (laughs) Anything? No, I just think, you know, and, and I agree. I think having a right understanding of the law can be good. Um, and, and I would agree that the law does, is a good thing because it does declare the nature of God and that he is holy and he is just and he is righteous. Um, I would be careful mm-hmm. to place weight of the law upon people. And when I say that, I want to mean that for us to say that the law is, you know, righteous or holy is, is a misinterpretation of the law. But Wait, it, if the, but it, if the- if the law is holy. Yeah. Cause I've heard people say, not you, but I've heard people say that the law is, you know, when they're describing the law that, you know, because of, of, of who the nature of God is. And, and these are more mm-hmm. people on a certain fringe, but I'm just using this as a, as, as a warning to place the laws um, image in the right hands and that, it is only right and good because God gave it to us. And, but it displays the character and nature of God rightfully to us that because God is holy and God is just and God is wrathful and God is perfect, He gave us these 10 commandments to live in accordance to what He's outlined for us to live. And that is in the pursuance of Him to be holy. And we've said that over and over again on the yeah. show that. You know, it, it, it all comes down to the nature of what the law drives you to, because the law will drive you to the cross. It will take you to that, yeah. it, it will take you to the one who can make you righteous, and that is in Christ. But the law itself will never do it. The law can only reveal your sin, and in your sinful nature, you're driven to the the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we absolutely have we have to be careful. Um, about there are there are the people that actually believe that they can live a sinless life, you know, within um, Christianity. Mm-hmm. I've seen these people, and, and you know, and again, this 
this goes back to a you know the proper understanding of uh, you know of these these doctrines of 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 justification. Even I mean, it's clear in Scripture that man cannot live a holy life, and if if you are putting everything in all of your faith in Christ, you know, your works are just filthy racks. It doesn't say not to pursue holiness as, right. you know, to, to be, to be holy yourself in all your conduct. First uh, Peter one fifteen clearly points that, you know, that, I mean, that was the life of Paul. He, yeah. he pursued holiness. Yeah. What's interesting. I think a lot of people forget that, um, Peter, Paul, Luke, John, they were all pastors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And they all wished more than anything, what, what they were doing, they wanted their sheep to be sanctified. Yep. They wanted them to pursue holiness, to be Christ-like. So the idea that you should, you know, wait, you're saying you're, you're pursuing holiness, you're being legalistic. It's only through the blood of Christ. Yep. You're getting the two mixed up here. It is only through the, through the blood of Christ, but clearly in scripture, it points to living a holy life. You know, these, these things and you know, the new Testament ethic, right? What is yep. that? Yep. Yeah. I think the, I think the most, the greatest illustration that I've heard actually came from Charles Spurgeon. And he said that you have a garment that needs to be washed you have a person to wash it, and you have a bath in which it needs to be washed. So the person that's doing the washing is the Holy Spirit. The bath is the blood of Christ, and then we are the garment. So we are just filthy rags. We can't wash ourselves. And it just, it was such a beautiful illustration to me because it shows how the blood of Christ, your justification, and the Holy Spirit, and the sanctification, the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you works together to make you more Christ-like. And I just, I don't know. I just thought that was a beautiful illustration that kind of really shows you how you need both, both of those justification yeah. and sanctification. Yeah. I actually read an article and um, you just made me think of it in, on uh, Ligonier with respect to justification and sanctification and how, if you imagine a, two circles, they're joined yeah. together. You can't, you, you can't take, uh, you, you can't separate them. You should not separate them. I mean, um, it, it, and, and that was what your post was actually highlighting with respect to justification and sanctification. You're, you had these different posts about yeah. justification and what it, what it means. So let's talk a little bit now about uh, sanctification. You know, we believe it to be, um, and Alex, you can stop me at any point, mm. um, <laughs> but a, a, <laughs> a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our own actual lives. So that's kind of, you know, we can, we can go into the actual Oxford or, or Webster's uh, definition of literally what um, sanctification means, means to, to set apart to a sacred purpose or to a religious use to consecrate. Um, so when we look at sanctification, you look at the internal condition, uh, it's continuous throughout life. And we do cooperate with the work the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. It's, and it's not to be perfect in this life. It's 
Um, and, and this is kind of my definition of justifi- of, of sanctification, my understanding of it. It's, it's greater in some than in, in others because in our, in Alex and I have talked about this. I said, I'm saying that a lot because we have so much that we talk about. And that's why I'm Literally saying hours. <laughs> hours of phone conversations, especially with sanctification um, early in my walks, especially, which was not that long ago, just, you know, over a year and a half ago of being mm-hmm. in this kind of where I am. But, you know, we talk about that, you know, this is the thing. We shouldn't compare each other. You know, my my walk in in, in being sanctified is going to be different than in, say, my sister's or yeah. someone else's. We, Absolutely. you know, so that is an, an important thing to remember. So that's that's my understanding and that's my belief, um, of my biblical belief of, of of kind of of what sanctification is. So I'll pass I'll pass the ball over to uh, to Janelle if you want to. What do you, you know? You want to outline sanctification? You know, sanctification is a work in us, not for us to do. So it's the Holy Spirit, you know, guiding us to maturity and holiness and making us more Christ-like. So like the goal of sanctification is the renewal of the image of God. So we are still image bearers, but because the image was distorted in the garden, with Adam and Eve in the first sin, you know, we're still image bearers, but we bear the marks of uh, the scars of sin as well. So sanctification is renewing us to that original image of God. Like that. So that's, yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Alex. My turn. You All go. Right. Uh-oh. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. You got you got the soapbox nice and sturdy. <laughs> I'm just playing. So here is my pastoral um, advice and understanding of sanctification. First of all, you cannot be sanctified unless you are justified. Yes. Agree. Amen. Good. All right. Can't, you on. can't. You can't separate them. Right. <laughs> no. Just, justification, and then you. I, I got a good uh, point after you talk about that a little bit. No, hit your point now because I'm looking at something. Okay, so to that point, absolutely spot on. So we know that sanctification has a definite beginning at regeneration. You're justified, and 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 once you're you are given a new heart, regeneration happens, and your sanctification begins. The Holy Spirit starts working. He's inserted this this wealth of of wisdom, knowledge that only comes from God in in mm-hmm. in highlighting your walk in being sanctified. So if you were to paint the picture before I go into my uh, explanation here, if you were to paint the picture of what sanctification looks like in a person's life, could you do that for me really quick? Um well, it's going to look different because sanctification is not the same. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say too. <laughs> with, with respect to it's greater in some than others. It's it, it and it's not completed obviously until death, and we're glorified. So, um, I, I think I I I, I, w- I would say this with respect to the definite beginning. Meaning, can you paint it before and after? It's going to look different. But I think one, uh, one John three nine kind of highlights how. There is a definite beginning. Um, hold on. I had a bookmark. Um, here, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And even 1 Corinthians 6.11 supports um, this 
definite beginning at regeneration, but you were washed, Mm -hmm. you were sanctified, you know it, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Yes. So let me, let me try to paint the picture a little bit if I can. Um, Understanding sanctification. People, I feel, and I and I hear this a lot of times. I get DMs about it all the time. You and I have had <sighs> countless conversations, hours that have spanned across this around what does it look like for somebody to walk out their sanctification? Because Paul tells us, right, to walk out your sanctification with fear and trembling, right? Does the Apostle Paul not say that? So if we were to take scripture as a whole and, and and try to view it in this lens as as God's complete redemptive plan we can look at the apostles it's kind of two parts part 1 is them living through the time of the gospel and we've talked about this in our mark series that they are uh completely and mostly ignorant of who Jesus Christ is through the most of his ministry they have moments of great shining brilliance but then the rest of the time they're kind of dull and it it takes them until the death and resurrection of christ and the ascension of jesus and the holy spirit to come upon them for them to finally get the full picture and you can say you know if you were to try to paint in the apostles' minds or in their lifespan, like when did justification happen? And when were they reconciled? When did they become regenerated? You can argue that it was when Jesus calls them from the shoreline to, you know, leave their fishing boat and to follow him. You can you can argue it at that time. You can argue it that it wasn't until the Holy Spirit uh, came upon them. And both arguments would would have scriptural support. Mm -hmm. But what about if they were set aside, as Paul writes in Ephesians, before the foundations of the world? What if our reconciliation and our regeneration happens before our lifespan? I'm I'm just kind of spitballing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have really no foundation for this argument other than Paul's writing and that we are set aside before the foundations of the world. But to think about like for, for my walk, right? I grew up in a non-Christian household. I heard the gospel preached a little bit in my teenage years, but I wasn't truly saved. Even though I did things for the church, I went on mission trips. I, you know, I did uh, youth work. I helped in the communities. I did all of that stuff. Was I, uh, you know, was I uh, regenerated then, or was it not until my mid twenties when I actually knew a deeper understanding of the person of Jesus Christ? You could argue at both cases in my life if you were to like know me on the, you know, day by day scale of my life. You could argue on both both ends, just as you could to the apostles. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I see what you're saying. And I think there is, in fact, an overall calling. I think that's the theological term. Um, 
you know, throughout a person's life. And, um, you know, that calling then leads to the point of they put their faith in Christ and they are given a, a, a regenerated heart. That's that's what we're, we're what we're talking what you're talking about, right? Well, the, the order, the order of salvation. Right. And, and, and there's a reason I'm and there's a reason I'm going down this 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 path. Because I feel like we get we want to we want to make everything intricate. We want to paint this philosophical picture and be able to put a pin on every little jot in our life. Mm-hmm. And and by that is is and I'm sure people could say it well on September 18th of 1997 I was I was reborn. That was the day I was reborn. Well, according to scripture Christ knew you before you were born and knew you before the foundations of the earth. So which is it? Yeah, I, I see what and you're saying. Yeah. So so my argument to this all, before I cover my little argument on sanctification, because it, this all funnels into the same piece here, is God is the one doing the work. God is the one that justifies us. God is the one who calls us. God is the one who redeems us, regenerates us, reconciles us to him through the son of Jesus Christ. It is God doing all of the work. That doesn't negate man's responsibility in in regards to being in the pursuit of holiness, but all of that can't happen until God does the work in us. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. We're going to go ahead and conclude this part of the episode and air part two on january 31st so make sure you tune in that episode will drop that sunday morning and we hope to see you then god bless acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.